This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 1998 edition For Thursday, September 19th, 2019 Adam Hall Hello What's that little fucking smirk on your face? Oh, I'm happy Explain yourself (laughs) I have full autonomy today It's my decision Yeah Which you obtained uh, through questionable means, I would say Well I think it was rightfully earned. I don't think this was really through the democratic uh, uh, process. Yeah, you don't think so? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Kind of feels like a filibuster, really. You think so? Yeah. I, I don't want. I don't want to hear hear your your squabbling over there. You I know, mean, you know, just not, if I got a constitutional scholar in here, I'm not sure they would back your play. You're not an American. You've never even eaten a cheeseburger. <laughs> I don't want to hear your shit. Well, this is true. <laughs> That's an all too real comment about my life. Uh, we're talking about the movies in 1998. Um, you have a plan? Yeah. You're happy with yourself? Sure. You know what you're going to do? Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to do before we even talk about these six movies? What? So everything I do today is in vain. If I make a comment, if I argue on behalf of a particular movie, you will not even take it into consideration? No, I've, I've made up my mind, uh, uh, yeah, like like since... I think I officially made it up last pot the the why is this a thing podcast. Okay. The ending of that, I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. You know exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Oh no. So by the way, we we should point out if you're new to the program, um, <laughs> this is this has been like a it's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where you find the different Infinity Stones and all the different yeah. movies and they're finally coming together. It this, is like a trilogy. I mean, yeah, this is it is a trilogy. There is definitely a narrative arc to this, but like you also have to listen to the other podcast to understand what the hell's going on. <laughs> so, 1982, we brought Nick on. We were debating Blade Runner versus ET. I won the debate. Nick said, "Congratulations, Nico. ET gets in the movie Hall of Fame." Nick then listens to a previous podcast, realizes that the rules of this show are very fallible and don't matter. Um, <laughs> decides to reverse his decision. On why is this a thing this week? And then you're like, I'll extend the olive branch and be like, hey, how about we just put Blade Runner and E.T. in the movie Hall of Fame together? Yeah. And I uh, agreed through my teeth, really. I mean, just grinding my teeth. There's nothing English. wrong with that. But, okay. Jesus Christ. So now you have promised me on podcast today, because I gave you full autonomy for this show, you have promised to pay off this narrative. Honestly, the Why Is This a Thing podcast that we did uh, about bad taste, go watch it, or listen, rather. It's sure, great. both. Uh, or, yeah, you can watch it, too. It's on YouTube. Yeah, I think that's you, should, you should do both, yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Amazon Prime as well. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's going to be playing in AMC theaters everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, that is, that's an important uh, little part of the story as well, I think. Okay. So. Uh, 1998. Here are your six movies up for induction. The Big Lebowski. Rushmore, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Out of Sight, Rounders, and Saving Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever had a list of movies I've seen more times. I think this, to me, is the most rewatched group of movies we've ever had. I mean, I've seen half of these movies, like, multiple, like, many, many times. Yeah. I'm going down this because I was preparing notes right ahead of time mm-hmm. and I realized how little I had to prepare <laughs> because so many of these movies are just ingrained in my head. Oh, God, I can yeah. quote them. So like Big Lebowski and Rounders and Out of Sight 2 are among 
the most rewatched cable movies ever for me. Mm-hmm. And Saving Private Ryan, I've seen multiple times because it's like a classic. And even Lock, Stock, and Two Spoken Barrels really works on cable. Oh, yeah. I, well, when it's on. Yeah. Um, I agree. So it's a very specific list, too, because there's not a lot of like Oscar bait movies here. No, not really. You know? I mean, I guess you could, I suppose, say Saving Private Ryan, but. Yeah. I but mean, other than that, like the other five are just really fun comedy dramas. I mean, they're completely different. I mean, the one that honestly sticks out as Saving Private Ryan is the one that's different. Right. But yeah. the rest of them, it's it's very us, I would say. Yeah. It's, it's a very us list. It's more me. Yeah. Well, see, I think it's very me. Oh, well, interesting. <laughs> they, they hit this funny gray area. Yeah. I, really fun list. I'm interested to talk about these. <laughs> me too. Highest grossing movie of the year. A movie you wanted to nominate, but uh, you took off at the last second in favor of Lockstock. <laughs> Armageddon. Armageddon, number one. This followed by Saving Private Ryan at two, Godzilla at number three, There's Something About Mary at number four, and A Bug's Life at number five. Your winner of Best Picture among the nominees, The Thin Red Line, Saving Private Ryan, Life is Beautiful, and Elizabeth. Of course, though, your winner is Shakespeare in Love. Never seen it. Fallen asleep just thinking about it. That's one of the classic, iconic Oscar fuck-ups. Oh, so terrible. Spielberg does win Best Director, though, for yes. Saving Private Ryan. Rightfully so. Roberto Bignini wins Best Actor for Life is Beautiful, a movie that I feel like we've talked about ten times. We have for some godforsaken reason. No one can agree on the release date. <laughs> like it well, came that's their out, fault. Yeah, Italy one year, America another year. The Oscars only qualified it for one year. It's weird. They weren't really thinking ahead and taking our criteria into consideration. Bastards. It's a fair point. That's why we're correcting the record. Mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow wins Best Actress... I'll give her that. She's very good in that movie. Uh, James Coburn wins Best Supporting Actor, and Judy Dench wins Best Supporting Actress. Um, the Razzies. I wrote these down. Oh, boy. What did they do? Worst Picture nominees are Spice World, okay, Godzilla, <laughs> The Avengers, not of Marvel, but uh, some like, British thing. It's Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Right. Uh, Armageddon's also nominated feels like a snub i think that should have won one worse picture but your winner is an alan smithy film colon burn hollywood burn <laughs> okay write that down for the why is this a thing <laughs> bank burn hollywood burn mm. is it a sequel to rubber or a prequel the the precursor to rubber Oh, how glorious would that be? A rubber <laughs> origin story. <laughs> worst actor goes to Bruce Willis for Armageddon. That is correct. And worst actress is a, I guess what, a five-way tie between all of the Spice Girls for Spice World. <laughs> is that what that's about? Yeah. I've never seen it. I have, no, have I. I have no intention to. I just didn't know it was a fucking Spice Girls movie. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Armageddon. There's something about Mary. A Bug's Life. Deep Impact came out that year. Okay. Which we'll be talking about on Why Is This a Thing. Rob wants to do that on that show. I have a date that might end up working for you guys coming up at some point. Cool. Looking forward to it. Mulan. Uh, yeah, okay. I like Mulan. It's fine. Uh, Godzilla, Shakespeare in Love. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Terry Gilliam? Like it. It's not a movie I enjoy watching, though. Yeah, Terry Gilliam movies are tough that way. Yeah. Um, Buffalo 66. Independent Darling, that movie. I really like it a lot. Also haven't seen it. Pie. Darren oh. Aronofsky came out. It's one that we could probably end up doing sometime. Basketball. Oh, is that that 
Trey Parker and Matt Stone. It is, and they yeah. did it with one of the Zucker brothers as That's well. Right, yeah. uh, Blade. I'm surprised you didn't talk about Blade at all. <laughs> don't you like the original Blade? Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. Well, let me put it this way: it's not like a film that I I, I could say I dislike. I, I certainly don't like like think fondly of that movie. It's a little. In fact, it's very dated. It's very nice. Do you like Blade Two better? Yeah, I do. And that's Guillermo, right? Yeah, but even that one's not like a great film, but it at least has like some artistic flair that's fun. Uh, Rush Hour, yeah. the original. Ants. Oh, Ants. Woody Allen, baby. I like Ants, I think, more than A Bug's Life. I agree. Uh, oh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. You didn't nominate Babe, Pig in the City. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was so, I was ready for it. I was bracing myself. I think it's because I didn't realize that it had come out. I think I, I I figured it out after the fact, after I said Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and I'm like, well, we've already solidified it. That being said, uh, had I found out, I would have been like, nope, it's fucking Babe, Pig in the City, one of my favorite sequels of all time. I'm so happy you overlooked that. I actually like that movie more than Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That is insane. Yep. A Simple Plan. Good movie. Yes. Very Billy good Bob movie. Thornton. It's like a Coen Brothers light. I only saw it recently, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very different sort of Sam Raimi movie. But it's very Fargo-esque. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. They even asked, uh, he, or rather, Sam Raimi asked the Coens for advice on how to shoot in snow. Yeah. I think they fun. were producers on the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Thin Red Line, Terrence Malick. He's got a new one coming out that's apparently pretty good. I have a lot of mixed feelings on Terrence Malick. I have no mixed feelings. I just hate him. Okay. But... <laughs> You just hate him. Just How many not Terrence a- Malick films have you seen? Uh, I saw Tree of Life, okay. which I, you know, um, and I saw, what is the one about Pocahontas? Oh, The New World? The New World. Okay. Have you seen Badlands? Or No. You might like Badlands. In fact, you would really like Badlands. You know what I'm not into? Shots of little kids with hands on blades of grass. And I feel like that's in every single one of his fucking movies. I mean, yeah, pretty much. It's just every movie pretty much. the same. They're so boring. Days of uh, of Heaven is like just that. Do you like Tree of Life? Have you seen Tree of Life? I don't really Life? remember. I have. I don't really remember it. Yeah, I think that says it all, doesn't <laughs> it? Uh, you've got mail, I think I mentioned. Um, American History X? Movie I pretty much love. Pretty, yeah. Pretty much. How about that ending, though? I don't know. Controversial ending. I think it would have been interesting for discussion. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. It actually would have been a great discussion because I've pondered that ending uh, countless times. Yeah, it's a weird one. Great Ed Norton performance. I, I think the performance is almost better than the movie in many ways. It is, yeah. yeah. I have a lot of mixed feelings on that direction sometimes. So, uh, And this is the movie I would have definitely put on, but you didn't. Uh, the Truman Show. Yeah. I would have done it. And it, it's a movie that's aged pretty well, I would say. We talk about it. That's one that gets brought up a lot in film school for some reason. Right. And when you're talking about media and its influence over a person, right. it's one that gets brought up constantly, even when it's not in like a film class. Like we, I think we saw it just for a regular old comm class once. Yeah. So. It is a little on the nose. Yeah. In terms of like this predicted reality TV, everybody thinks it's this great work of social commentary. It's very good. Yeah. No, it's a very good Jim Carrey dramedy. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's uh, Peter Weir's best film, though. I think what came out, uh, I, I think we skipped one called uh, A Year of Living Dangerously, which is awesome. Really? Awesome movie. Yeah. And you would really like it. But uh, I think that was 1982. I don't think I we had room for it. Uh, 
Peter like, Weir. I mean, he also did the uh, Dead Poets Society, which is a movie I quite like. I think Truman Show may be a little better than Dead Poets. I disagree. Okay. It's close, though. What's the movie you wanted me to see? A Year of Living Dangerously. I will check that out. Mel Gibson. Young Mel Gibson. And Sigourney Weaver. Uh... Love this movie. A young Australian reporter tries to navigate the political turmoil of Indonesia during the rule of President Sakorno with the help of a diminutive photographer. Okay. When did it come out? 82? 82, you're right. I'll check that out. Okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, that was all I had for that. National Film Registry inducts for the year 1998 The Big Lebowski, Rushmore, Saving Private Ryan, and this movie called Smoke Signals. Haven't seen it. Which will be the first and last time that's ever brought up on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. I just don't know what it is. I'm yeah, sorry. Well, we'll, smoke signals. We'll live. Yeah, I think we'll live having never seen that movie. <laughs> I'm cool with that. I'm dying to see smoke signals. Okay, so I, <clears throat> when compiling this rundown, just put The Big Lebowski first because this is by far and away the movie that we talk about the most on this podcast. We reference it all, all the, the fucking time. time. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to get it out of the way and hopefully talk about it in a new way because, okay. again, what needs to be said about The Big Lebowski? So let's try our sure. best here to really exercise our podcasting muscles. Okay, okay. Uh, it's written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, starring Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tara Reid, Peter Stromer, Flea, and John Turturro, nominated for zero Oscars. <laughs> Jeff, the dude Lebowski, mistaken for a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists his bowling buddies to help get it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of the Big Lebowski on a thematic level? What do you think this movie's about? Uh, I, t- I, t- I kind of think it's, it's about like movies. Okay. Yeah, I sort of take it. I mean, the the general idea in my head was always like, let's take like, I don't know, five different genres as the Coen brothers. Let's take five different genres that we love quite dearly and just place a complete loser in those roles <laughs> as the protagonist and see what we can mine from that and what we can learn from said genres just by placing this character there. Yeah. And it. I, when I watch it that way, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, and just how it ex- de- deconstructs those genres, but at the same time kind of uh, pulls out what makes them special. And, right. I, and, the, and seeing Jeffrey Lubowski as this like pure observer of everything that's going on around, like he doesn't do that much in the No, movie. I don't think he does anything. <laughs> but that kind of works. Sure. In, in a weird sort of way. And it's and it's interesting to be, I, I don't know, to live so vicariously through him, but I... I I don't necessarily relate to him as naturally. Oh, I do. No, 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 I do. But like, I, I wouldn't think that I would, I suppose. Because yeah. he, he, I mean, I was never this person, really. Right. <laughs> and I, I don't think a lot of people in the audience necessarily would be. But there's a simpleton quality to this dude. And there, I, Don't a, you sort of envy him, though? Kind of, I guess. Like the fact that he could be so fine with living as, as I as plainly as he does yeah. being so content with it all. Cause he seems so happy. Well, I mean, again, putting him in these kind of horrible circumstances and in the end, he's just like, eh, I just want to go bowl. Right. You know, the dude abides. 
The dude abides, it's man. Like, there, there's, there's a lot of. I mean, it's kind of inspiring, you know. Oh, I think for sure. And with other films that would take those genres and take it in a completely different direction and have you learn something far more profound, there's a beautiful simplicity to the lessons to be had from this movie. Yeah. So, uh, I love that observation about it being about movies mm-hmm. um, because it does sort of dabble in the crime genre and then it dabbles in the comedy genre and then noir it, westerns yeah, a little bit of westerns in there yeah. with sam elliott yeah. and, and sp- oddly oddly a little bit of a sporting drama with the bowling and whatnot yeah hair hair yeah for sure say. a little bit of that yeah. um i don't think it's a coincidence that these characters were based on real people the coens knew yeah um specifically those in hollywood the dude was based on film producer and political activist Jeff Dowd, mm-hmm. who was uh, a pacifist through and through, was a real sort of hippie fellow, mm-hmm. peacenik type guy. And Walter, based on John Milius, who wrote Apocalypse Now. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Who's like this real larger than life character who is really into guns and war. And obviously a guy like that writes Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think now we would sort of call someone like Walter a neocon. Uh, post 9-11, yeah. like, let's just bomb the shit out of them and let's build the American military. This isn't Nam. There are rules. <laughs> it's just about to say, Smokey, this is not Nam. There are rules. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in all of cinematic history. That is amazing. Uh, I do love when he goes, I dabbled in pacifism. Not Nam, of course. Not Nam. <laughs> <laughs> just acknowledging, I tried it. Turns out, doesn't work all that well. That's one of the funniest motifs, especially towards the end, right. when, when he's given the eulogy for uh, for uh, Donnie. Uh, a Donnie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like all those boys in Quezon and Hill 352 or whatever. It's like, why do you have to bring up Vietnam? What does anything have to do with Vietnam? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> sorry, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is one of the funniest movies ever made. So here's the thing about this yeah. movie. First time I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is really funny. Second time I saw it, the hardest I've ever laughed at any movie ever. I don't think there's a better example of a movie that just gets funnier and funnier and funnier the more you watch it. It's a miracle. I don't, I just, yes. But I think that the thing is that because of the type of movie that it is and because it's so, because the narrative is so, I guess, shall we say, ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> That's generous. It's, a fucking mess, I think, is it what is you a, want to call but it. But it's deliberately a mess. Of course. Now, this is one of the few examples where I would certainly call the movie messy, but in the best possible way. Right. Because uh, it's the only way this story would make sense otherwise. Sure. <laughs> uh, once you get a hold of that and you understand what the fact that the movie's not letting you go from that and this is the ride you're on, it is, oh my God, it's something I pick up. I pick up new stuff every time I watch it. Yeah. I no, love it. There, I know the first time I watched it, I didn't pick up on Donnie, mm-hmm. the I am the walrus line. Yep. And that took me like two viewings because it's it's sort of in the background. He's yep. saying it, it. They don't really linger on the moment all too much. And also that moment is in the wake of Jesus. Yes. So it's Totoro. You don't fuck with you don't fuck with the Jesus man. <laughs> Are you ready to be fucked, man? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> we see you roll your way into the semis. Liam and me, we're gonna fuck you up. Fuck you up. <laughs> you pull that shit on me, man. I'm gonna stick that right up your ass and pull the trigger till it goes click. Jesus. <laughs> you said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. <laughs> it is so damn it's funny. Ass, dude. I love like the insert shot of them just rubbing the balls. <laughs> the rubbing the balls. So every time I go bowling, I think of that now. Yes. Every, and I don't go often, 
But them, that is such a brilliant piece of visual comedy. Who dreams up these two asshole guys? He's wearing a purple jumpsuit, (laughs) tightly fit, gold chains all over the place, and he's there with a fat guy polishing off a bowling ball. Who dreams that up but the Coens? I love the attention to detail. Like, the fat guy's just kind of standing there plainly doing it. Right. And then Jesus got his legs spread. He's squatting. He's squatting. <laughs> he's, he's dipping it down like it's one of his testicles. <laughs> the phallic nature of that is so brilliant. Oh, my God. I no, I, look, we can revisit these moments all the time. And we, we have revisited them multiple times on this show. No doubt it's a very funny, funny, funny movie, and that's why it's such a cult classic. But beyond that, I just think it has a lot of really smart things to say. Sure. Um, it, go ahead. What, what I was going to say, it has, I mean, it has a, a ton of things to say, but again, like when we sort of discussed that already, but what's interesting about this movie is that, I don't know, about a hundred percent of the movie could have been cut. Right. <laughs> Nothing, right. There, like, if you want the quintessential, like maybe the best example of a plotless film aside from, I don't know, maybe one of the before movies, yeah. this is probably it. Well, it's so much plot that there really is no plot, right? Yes, exactly. That's what it is. This is a, that's actually a great uh, way to put it. Cause I see movies all the time that are so plotty to the point where you're like, I don't know what just happened in that movie. Did anything happen in that movie? Hmm. Whereas like this, it almost, you know, obviously it feels like it's more the point. Right. And it fits the story so much better than, I don't know, like Venom. But you've got to watch it one time to mm-hmm. be able to make sense of the plot. And yes. then once you're no longer distracted by that, you yeah. can hang out with these characters. Exactly. And that's, that's a great hangout movie. Right. And you can get to know these characters. Walter, what's it? Sobchak? Sobchak, I think. Sobchak. John Goodman in this. Is he in the running for one of the funniest characters in the history of film? <laughs> Everyone's. I don't. I. Whew. He's maybe my favorite character in the movie. He's my favorite character in like any movie. He's so good. He's so good. Oh my god! I I can't get like I could just hang out with Walter all 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 day. It's it's really it's really weird because the guy's like crazy. <laughs> We're talking about drawing a line in the sand, sand. dude. <laughs> and also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> Asian American, please, please. <laughs> It just he stops mid sentence. <laughs> By the and that entire conversation could be boiled down to one sentence, and right. it's just them going back and forth, being like, "Wait, the dude, the th- you pissed on your carpet, right? Piss and and then pissed on has- your rug, dude. He pissed on your rug. <laughs> you peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element, dude. The Chinaman is not the issue here. <laughs> That is so the good. that is the best writing I've ever seen in a and movie. And <laughs> all scripted. Yes. That's the thing. Have you ever read the script for this? I have. Yeah. I and yeah. it's it's remarkable you read the script. No, when I, I it's, it, it, it's actually kind of inspiring reading any Coen Brothers script and just how natural it could be. But I would look at this movie and be like, wow, they're having so much fun and just riffing right. off of oh, each other. Oh, man, they're ad-libbing. No, you think about all the president's men where Hoffman and Redford learned each other's lines so they yep. could interrupt each other. You figured a similar thing was happening here. Exactly. But it's just it's just the Coen Brothers are just directing the shit out of this movie. Yeah. And writing the shit out of this movie. You, see, you read the script or a scene like that and every beat is in there. Yep. Every time Walter cuts the dude off that's scripted every time walter just goes oh fuck no. dude every time it sounds like it's just filler that's in the script yeah all the like the uh mm, uh what mm, right all, the, all like the little like like broken sentences that's all the fact that that's scripted is crazy right like because you generally don't see stuff like that in screenplays they kind of cut that out right and they just kind of get straight to the point and the Collins are like we know exactly what we want right and it's amazing how 
brilliantly captured it is. It's just, it's so fluid. Like, that wouldn't necessarily be so fluid for actors, but it just works. Fluid for actors or fluid for writers. That's Some true. writers are just not that good. Yeah. Like, sometimes you add too much to a script and you just, you, you bog it down and, mm-hmm. it, and it comes out boring and choppy. But no, it's so naturalistic. You're 100% correct. <laughs> for the perfect comedic effect. This is master filmmaking. Yeah. And not just good filmmaking. This is top of the class screenwriting and, and directing. Um, so, it, yeah. But it's interesting because it's a, it's a cult film. Sure. And I think I would still consider it a cult film. I think so. I'm not sure I would completely throw it into the pop culture phenomenon. It certainly has its audience and a pretty large audience at this point. It's, it's like ever so close to, to like that Blade Runner status, in my opinion. I think it's right about there. It's so close. I think it's right about... Uh, I wrote some of these things down. Dudism is a religion that was devoted to <laughs> yeah. spreading the philosophy and lifestyle of the dude. Mm-hmm. Founded in 2005. Uh, the Church of the Latter-day Dude has obtained over 220,000 <laughs> Dudist priests all over the world on its website. Uh, they have conventions for it. It's a poster that's like in every dorm room. Yeah. And it's just one oh, of those things. I had a I had a, a Big Lebowski poster. So Yeah, I, I did too in my dorm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I guess it's not mainstream mainstream and that it didn't do well at the box it's office. It's not a superhero film. but Yeah, it's not. But it's certainly a movie that captured the right audience at the right time, I would say. Yes. Um, and so, like, if you're into film... This is one of your favorite comedies. Oh God, absolutely! You know, so, some people would say it's their favorite. It's it's maybe in my top. I, no, I put it in my top five comfortably. Oh, for sure, comedies. Yeah. Absolutely, I yeah. would. Um, also, like the dude is just such a relatable character. It's my favorite Jeff Bridges performance. I think. Yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah, I, yeah, it it is. I mean, he's almost overlooked because of Walter, but you forget True. that he sort of created an archetype that every man under the age of 20 wanted to follow <laughs> pretty much <laughs> i mean it really yeah. captured a generation that archetype yeah. came to define stoner comedies i know but i don't for a while but this is not a stoner comedy like at all to me no it's which, not which makes it kind of annoying when i hear people like reference it like this is the stoner comedy i'm like no it's, well, it's not a comedy about stoners a stoner yeah but like that 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 is not the attention of the film whatsoever yeah i suppose um, By the way, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Huh. Brant. Maybe one of my favorite supporting Philip Seymour Hoffman performances. His awkwardness and responding <laughs> to Tara these... Reed, ca- Tara Reid goes all suck a cock. I, I don't die when she says that, but just the, 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 the cut to Philip Seymour Hoffman just like... Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, we're, uh, we're all very fond of her. We're all very... <laughs> <laughs> I like... I just... It's one of the funniest things in the movie for me, honestly. Yeah, when he's describing the Big Lebowski's charitable uh, donations. His very astute, um, oh, over here, (laughs) just stops mid-sentence. Oh, man, Brent's funny. Yeah, no, every character in this, Julianne Moore's amazing, and Buscemi is just incredible, and yeah, I mean, come on, Totoro is Jesus. How about the Jesus rolls that's coming out next year? You see that? Yeah, we already talked about that. I, I, I what, my message to you when, um, when you told me about it was that I felt it, it was as if my uh, girlfriend had told me that we were having a baby. Oh, right. Yeah, that's what I said. You wouldn't know if you were happy or not, 
or you'd be happy, but you'd also be very nervous. In this moment, yes, that's a, that's my exact response. It's like, and I I I guess I'm happy, but I'm scared to death. Yes, yes, that's the Jesus rolls coming out next year. The Jesus uh, centric sequel. Is it called? Is is Jesus in the title? The Jesus rolls. That's the movie. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, a couple more things I just wanted to say. Roger Deakins shoots this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, it's so funny looking back that Roger Deakins shot this movie. I mean, it makes sense because he loves the Coen brothers so much, but... No, to see all the great work he did on like Blade Runner 2049 okay. and uh, No Country for Old Men and True Grit. Mm-hmm. Um, just like incredible westerns. He shoots Vistas. Jesse and, James. Oh my God. Skyfall. Oh my God, Skyfall. Yeah, just incredible cinematography. Um, to see this dude just like shoot a bowling alley but it looks like the most incredibly lit bowling alley on the planet mm-hmm. uh this movie has such a sense of place yeah and that's the thing i find this to be the quintessential la movie i've never been to la um but i hear that it's a very lonely place sometimes and this movie's version of la is not glamorous at all no there's not a lot of traffic these diners are empty for the most part. The bowling alley is certainly empty. Mm-hmm. Looks like a place out of time. I mean, like now you go to a bowling alley and there's a bunch of kids running around and there's an arcade. This is just one of those old school. You can still smoke in the bowling alley, yeah. hang out at the bar, knock down some pins and then go home on a Tuesday night. Uh, not the most exciting existence, though. N- no, certainly not. Man, I kind of want to be there. <laughs> I mean, that's the effect that a great movie can have on you, though. Like, the sense of place that this movie provides is so palpable. It's well, so tangible. But everything about this movie is a character down to the sense of place. I mean, even just the film opening up with that tumbleweed. That right. tumbleweed throughout the film feels like a character in and of itself, oddly. Yeah. Just this nothing of a thing wandering through this lonely place. you know. And I guess that kind of exemplifies the movie in a little kind of funny way. And, uh, I mean, we can't go without mentioning uh, Sam Elliott's narration. Of course. Which I cite all the time on this podcast. Sometimes there's There's a man. Sometimes there's a man. I'm talking about the dude here. Won't say a hero, because what's a hero? (laughs) Here, I am rambling again. (laughs) I don't introduce him enough. Good stuff. (laughs) Could you imagine in 98 if, like people knew we were going to do a podcast about this movie and oh, we were God. talking we haven't even talked about it as a comedy really like we've pointed out a couple notes but it's mostly like yeah how about the the pacifism versus neoconservatism undertones here like <laughs> like we're analyzing it as though it's shakespeare but and to us it kind of is shakespeare no that's the effect of the movie we're not alone on that like yeah. the movie kind of transcends just being a comedy it's just oh it's actually a very interesting thought-provoking movie right i mean again it's 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 what, what i guess what you would expect out of the coen brothers it is funny though that it's their follow-up to fargo yeah no but that's what i'm saying like to them it was probably very natural that yeah. this was their follow-up to fargo it's <laughs> like this is our big Oscar bait movie. People loved it. Francis McDormand gets the Oscar and now we can make whatever we want and we're making this. <laughs> this thing. You know? And this is a thing of a movie. Right. At the time, I can understand why people would be... Uh, Confused. Yeah. yeah, a bit agasp in yeah. the movie theater. Uh, but that's why you have to give it time. Like, that's the oh. great thing about movies is that you can sit on them for a while and what was at once a very silly stoner comedy... Mm-hmm becomes this like anthem for a generation this movie essentially made the f word okay in my household oh really yeah because ever since uh the three of us watched it with my dad 
I mean, my mom still could take it or leave it, but when my brothers and I watched it with my dad, we just could not stop uh, uh, saying, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> I have this great video on my phone. We're, we're all sitting around and, and watching the movie, and it's at the part where Walter is smashing the car, and he's just saying, here's what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. This is what happens, Larry, and he's just smashing it. <laughs> See what happens, Larry? I love his father. <laughs> I'm a big fan of your work, sir. <laughs> Does he still write? Oh, no, no. He has health problems. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right, we're going to move on because we spent way too much time on The Big Lebowski. I love this But movie. I will just say right now, I'm going to be making a, an argument for this later on, but you won't listen to me anyway because I gave you power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, let's talk about Rushmore. Rushmore, yeah. Our favorite filmmaker of all time, you and I both. There's no contention there. I mean, uh, just our modern day Orson Welles. Exactly. Wes Anderson. Yeah. I nominated this movie. Surprisingly. Because <laughs> I love it. I, I, I unapologetically love it. Oh, God. I mean, it's hard not to love this movie. Yeah. It's written and directed by Wes Anderson, of course. Uh, Owen Wilson also shares screenwriting credit. Starring Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Brian Cox, and Olivia Williams. The extracurricular king of Rushmore Preparatory School is put on academic probation. That is the synopsis for this movie. Um, I hate Wes Anderson because Wes Anderson is way too fucking quirky for my liking. I know. Um, and that's and okay. I find all of his movies to be very similar to one another. And I just feel like he's kind of a self-parody of himself at this point. Yeah. You certainly know what to expect with Wes Anderson films. I wouldn't necessarily say the films are exactly the same. Just tonally and rhythmically, they flow in very similar fashions. Aside, honestly, for the, only, the biggest difference recently was Isle of Dogs. Okay. Isle of Dogs is actually like very mature okay yeah and and took itself quite seriously <laughs> given its premise yeah yeah I, uh so point being i'm not a fan but rushmore what i love about it and why it's one of my favorite of the year is that it's not really a wes anderson movie not at least how we know him today not yeah i was gonna say i mean certainly has some of his cinematic flares that we've come accustomed to again but it's not as not certainly certainly not as refined as it used to be it's rough around the edges and i mean that in like the most laudatory way it makes sure. it makes the most sense here and you can watch this uh, and separate wes anderson from it right which is something you can't do with a few of his other films like the darjeeling limited for example and kind of a uh, steve zisu which i actually love but that movie is not for everybody yeah. <laughs> certainly not for you no um in grand budapest hotel i know people loved it but... oh it's it's my my second favorite wes anderson film next to fantastic mr fox yeah i just felt the same way about it it's like the star of this movie is Wes Anderson. The yeah. star of this movie is not Ray Fiennes. I mean, that's. The, I mean, directors do that. There's pr- plenty of directors that you and I love where they are kind of the star of the movie. Yeah, but not as much as Anderson does. I know you reference Tarantino. I mean, Tarantino. All the time. Tarantino. No, I know you do, but he's got some great fucking characters, man. And I don't. I mean, and and there aren't great characters in Grand Budapest Hotel. I completely disagree with that, dude. They are overshadowed by the style of that mm, movie. I don't see that tremendously overshadowed. No, I think and, Ray Fiennes is glorious in that movie. Yeah, he's good, but like, I don't know his name i don't know anything about him I, I don't think there's like anything distinct about that character he's just sort of a an avatar that wes anderson can put his words in like zero in the movie like that guy he's great who zero the, zero the, the, his butler oh that's the kid yeah the kid i like saoirse i love saoirse ronan i love fucking uh she had a face tattoo in that or yeah, she, nah, had, she like had a scar on her face. yeah okay that's it I, I fucking love uh willem dafoe as the villain in that <laughs> <laughs> it's just to me the four by three aspect ratio, the the Not set design, everywhere. 
all that's the star of the movie mm-hmm. right it's none of oh, these characters it's great though what i love about rushmore is that the characters are the star of the movie <laughs> jason schwartzman and bill murray that's where the quirkiness comes from mm-hmm. the quirkiness is natural it comes from the characters not from the filmmaking yeah. and there's still some good filmmaking it's at times showy and the dialogue is quirky it is what it is it's still a wes anderson script but it's a real character study and I love these characters. Me too. You know? Especially Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, from a filmmaker... No, his name's not Rushmore. The school's no, yes, Rushmore. No, yes. No, uh, Jesus Christ. Max Flesher. Max. I was going to say Max Flesher. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> yeah, what I mean. Yeah, I got but, you. But, like, I... The, the funny thing is about about this movie is that I, I kind of watch it and I feel like, oh, well, Wes Anderson could do more filmically. And that's kind of why I love his latter films more. Because oh. I don't care for the Royal Tenenbaums. See, I do too. Yeah, for, because I'm like, I don't, I don't resonate with anything that this movie's doing. Yeah, I just feel, I, I find it somewhat disingenuous at times. I don't know, it just doesn't resonate with me. Uh-huh. And this one's a little bit better again because I guess I, I connect to Max a little bit more. I mean, not certainly not with his feelings towards that teacher, but <laughs> I, I, I see his, I, I suppose his struggles with school a bit, yeah. a bit more, and then his surrounding characters and his, you know, troubled relationship with some of his friends and whatnot. Like that's engaging. But he doesn't really have any friends. No, he has. Well, he has the kid, but the, like his one friend that he thought he had ends up kind of turning on him and whatnot. Right. But at the same time, I also appreciate his level of ambition and creativity and how he's willing to kind of make sacrifices to 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 do what he loves, and that's great stuff. He's kind of a more pathetic Tracy Flick. Yeah, you know, I would almost say more like like more even more ambitious Tracy Flick. Yeah, but dumber than Tracy Flick is the key. Like he's not really good at all this shit that he does. He's very ambitious. But he, he, like, flunks out of school, doesn't he? Well, I don't think it's that he's he's stupid. He just doesn't care to put in the time to do the schoolwork. Right. It's not, it's not so much that he's stupid. He's just, you know, not interested in the other stuff. Right. All he's interested in is, is what the school has to offer, not the school itself, if that right. makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Or he almost feels like he's above it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, he's above the work because so f- he's doing a, a live version of Serpico at it, the school <laughs> I love. I I thought he was selling it off as if it was his own original play. I'm like, what? No. It's kind of weird. I was. I was. <laughs> what a brilliant movie to do a theatrical adaptation of at the high school. Don't recital. fuck with my play, <laughs> Serpico. It's so. <laughs> These kids are twelve. I know. I, I always. And what does he do? He does like the the the, the this Oliver Stone movie, Vietnam movie. At yeah. The end. Platoon. No, it's it not platoon. It's like a like like Heaven and Earth. Oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. which is like what 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 the what <laughs> and there's like special effects flying it's just oh it's great it's so funny it's so funny you bring up Tracy Flick too because I was just watching election the other night oh you watched it again yeah, and I think on Monday yeah Monday yeah uh-huh. with Abby and loved it yeah it's an awesome movie um yeah no I uh I relate to those characters in a weird way yeah although I'm not that type no me neither. I have a little type a in me but I'm not like super ambitious when it comes to like finding groups on campus you know what i mean like this character is essentially nick evangelistum oh yes oh amen to that i guess that's that's what he is here here yeah for sure but i see i again i relate to nick because like i really admire nick Mm -hmm. 
but I also don't want to be him. <laughs> I don't want to do the amount of work that that kid does. Yeah. Fuck that. No right. way. <laughs> Nick, you're doing a great job, but holy shit, dude. <laughs> Take a break. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't relate to him and that I, I don't see myself in him, but I certainly like that person and yes. I admire them. It, it, admiration is the real thing. And I felt the same way about Tracy Flick and I feel the same way about Max in this movie. It's a little more endearing here, though. Like, I, like you really get an inside well, scoop on what it's going, what, what's going on with this guy. Like, I feel bad for him. Election is a more bitter movie than this no <laughs> are you kidding well, that's putting it mildly <laughs> yes it's not a, that, that doesn't have the most the the most optimistic ending i would say yeah i wouldn't say that either who the fuck does she think she is <laughs> uh the other thing i wanted to say was bill murray which we have to talk about because this is sort of the movie i would say it's probably his career resurgence right in a way yeah he was doing a bunch of like broad comedies in the 90s mm-hmm. there's not a lot of great like great or, or a lot of bill murray performances from the 90s that you remember no not really uh certainly not the mid to late 90s but this movie comes out and it's like oh yeah bill murray is a serious actor let's start casting him and things and then he gets broken flowers and lost in translation and all that stuff yeah. um he's just so good in this movie yeah but this is like the the bill murray that i've i've grown to love more more than the old bill murray honestly right because I, th- I think I've I've seen more of these Bill Murrays, actually. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, yeah. we grew up with them, right? Yeah, I know. But, I mean, that's his timeline. I mean, he, he's kind of sp- split his career off right in half that way, where it's like the silly goofball Irishman dude who's drinking a lot and then, like, kind of serious, somber character studies. Yeah. That, you know, are are have plenty of levity, but, I mean, they're oddly touching. I think he's equally good at both. Yeah, me too. Is the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's such a versatile actor, which is a weird thing to say about Bill Murray. <laughs> I know, but he—he he, he, when you see movies like this, it's like, oh god, this guy can actually act like like completely. Yeah, very, very dynamic. He's great in this as like a man child. Yeah, he's a father of kids that go to the same school as Max. Mm-hmm. Has an affair or attempts to have an affair with uh, the teacher that Max is in love with, and it becomes this weird love triangle. And I don't think like that. It, this is supposed to be a romantic movie. I don't think you're supposed to watch this as like, oh, who's going to get the girl? Because no. it's like a little kid. It's supposed to be a pathetic story. But ultimately, it's about uh, an older guy with a lot of money who is in this stunted development and then a younger kid that teaches him how to grow up. And um, vice versa. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, Bill Murray teaches him how to be a kid. And it's a real touching relationship that, yeah, obviously the script goes in some weird places and the story weaves and when you think it's going to go the other way. But... Uh, it makes it so much better and more interesting than the other version where they just play it, you know, completely straight. Right. It would have been boring if you'd, if you'd gone that way, I suppose. Or yeah. Just, or maybe just not as exciting. Right. It's kind of like a gritty, independent version of The Graduate. <laughs> well, I get a lot of Graduate vibes out of this movie. In a way, I would also make Graduate a comedy. Yeah. Because this is a funny movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, Graduate is a comedy, kind of. No. as a moment or two that's funny now that that's out of the way i think that movie's brutally relatable (laughs) to the point to the point where it's funny uh, plastics uh, that's a moment in a a sea of misery (laughs) all right uh rushmore will not be inducted this year i don't believe how do you know that i don't know that because you have full autonomy Uh uh-huh but i really like it and if you're into it um awesome if you have not seen it check it out see rushmore yeah see rushmore god damn it 
let's talk about your movie, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, a nice movie that nobody has seen, but I would like to talk about it. Yeah, I guess no one's really seen it. No one's seen it. Everyone's seen Snatch. They haven't bothered with this. You know who loves this movie? Zach. No, Zach loves well, it? Well, I love it, but Zach loves it. Oh, that's right. Zach does love this Zach movie. Zach loves this movie. I love this movie, too, though. This movie is so fucking 90s, dude. Oh, God, yeah. Is, Everything about this movie just screams not 90s. Oh, my, the soundtrack, the camera work, the writing. Yeah, it's, the independent quality. It is nuts. It's like Reservoir Dogs, Boondock Saints, Train Spotting. They're all in that umbrella. It's like, and it kind of climaxes with Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah, a movie like this just isn't made anymore. And that's no. important to know. Although they have been made many times in the past, uh, yet just the 2000s, there doesn't seem to be enough room for something like Lockstock. And it doesn't quite resonate uh, as much as it as it used to, because Guy Ritchie eventually went on to do like a, a very similar film with uh, Tom Hardy and Gerard Butler. What the fuck is that movie called? Oh shoot! Yes, I know exactly what God, you're talking about. What the hell is that movie called? Uh... It's not Smoking Aces. It's uh, God. What the or what is it? Rock and Roller. Rock and Roller, yeah. Yeah. Which I actually like, but... Uh, Haven't seen. You know, yeah, it's it's it, it's funny because that movie wasn't like like beloved the way like the other films were, even though I feel like it's like a worthy addition to, I guess if you want to call it that trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you said, written and directed by Guy Ritchie, starring Jason Fleming, Dexter Fletcher, Nick Moran, Jason Statham, and Sting, who I forgot was in this yeah. until I just did my little research. Uh, a botched card game in London triggers four friends, thugs, weed dealers, hard gangsters, loan sharks, and debt collectors to collide with each other in a series of unexpected events, all for the sake of weed, cash, and two antique shotguns. <laughs> uh, Guy Ritchie, where do you stand on him these days? These days? I like the first Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you yeah. do? Yes. And Man from Uncle is fine. I kind of like Man from Uncle. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Interesting. Yeah. Uh,. And Aladdin was... Uh, Didn't see it. Yeah. Such a weird choice for Aladdin, though. See, I don't hate Aladdin like like everyone else, but yeah, like I remember thinking, like, wait a second, what? Like, when I heard that he was doing it, and then when I actually saw the movie, I was like, yeah, no, you could have done a lot better than choosing Guy Ritchie. It just feels strange for him. Yeah, when I think Guy Ritchie, I don't think the desert. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't... Do you think when you think of Aladdin, do you think of like sped up shots? Yeah, people, exactly right. Know, like, like, like just randomly throughout their musical numbers. That <laughs> I think of Lawrence of Arabia, right? I don't. Yeah, I think Aladdin. I don't think Guy Ritchie. I don't think claustrophobic crime dramas set in 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 the bowels of London. I I mean, <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird one altogether. Again, I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out to be, but it's a problem. It's another problematic movie where I was just like, there's absolutely no reason for this movie to be live action. Yeah, I guess he he's like a Hollywood director now, huh? Yeah. This is like all he does now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He did King Arthur mm-hmm. from which, a couple of years ago. I didn't see it. Which I did not see. Um, yeah, ever since Sherlock Holmes, I don't think he's made one for himself. I would love it if he went back and made one for himself. Because uh, I love his earlier work. What's your favorite? This. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I think Snatch is fine. Um, it was dampened significantly when someone told me it was Snatch was better than Pulp Fiction. Oh, that's and, stupid. And then I watched it. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Like, it's really good. But yeah. my, I mean, Jesus, dude, like you, you single-handedly killed my experience with this movie <laughs> by yeah. saying that. Yeah, Snatch is fun. Um, it's entertaining. You can rewatch it. It's... I actually think a lesser version of Lockstock. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. There's a gritty quality to Lockstock, um, yeah. particularly with these actors. Like, there's not a lot of big names. Obviously, it introduced the world to Jason Statham, mm-hmm. so we have this movie to blame for that. <laughs> uh, but like some of these other guys, I think about the Enforcer, the like big bald Enforcer oh, yeah. for the gangster with that weird accent of his. There's like a, a lot of great little character actors doing their thing. Uh, Snatch just has too many movie stars. Yeah, I and am. this gives us an edgy, gritty quality that I really like. And I still don't remember Snatch, aside from like the boxing scenes with Brad Pitt yeah. saying "caravan" over and over again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I I really like this movie a lot. It's another one where the plot is kind of hard to follow. Oh, it's the most complicated plot I think I've ever had to follow. <laughs> yeah, and I have a buddy of mine who who loves loves like plot heavy films and he's even he's like dude i I don't know what happened i love the movie but i don't know what happened (laughs) right it's like yeah well it's also that and the english accents too i i don't find them that difficult to understand like some people it's more the vernacular than the accents i I suppose yeah like some of the slang that they're using but there is one scene where the character is in the bar and he's like using heavy slang and they put subtitles on yeah uh it's kind of like a tacit acknowledgement. If you're American, this movie's going to be hard for you to follow. Some of those accents, though, you, like having having been to Manchester, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know what you just said. Right. Repeat that. And then they repeat it again and again and again. And then they explain to you what certain words mean. And you're like, oh, OK, I got you. <laughs> so there's like multiple layers of, of broken English that you need to pick up on in order to understand like, like that bar scene that you're referring to. Yeah. One of my big gripes with guy Ritchie, and this is a weird film nerd thing i don't like the way he lights his seeds okay i'm not a big fan of his cinematography uh snatch is a very gray movie to me yeah, i'm is. not into it uh the sherlock holmes movies i feel, feel very similarly about mm-hmm. even man from uncle was a little visually flat yeah oh uh, yeah uh this movie does this weird thing where they like do they blow out the the uh, the camera there, like, how do they get that like yellow rustic brown effect? It almost feels like a again, just like a gel, like a filter for for the lights and whatnot. But it almost at, at the same time, it almost looks digital. I'm, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what this was shot on, but there's times when it looked to me anyway looks like it was shot on the same cameras that were used for like 28 days later. Okay, which again is another English film, you know, with, with that was shot one of the first films to be shot digitally. And I look at this movie and it has that feel. It has that kind of low budget look. It's like excellent like camera work and movement and, and composition and whatnot. But you're right, the lighting is. Ambition is very ambitious, and it feels like something that you usually get out of like digital film. Well, it feels unintentional. Yeah, it almost feels like I didn't have good film stock lying around, so this is what we used. Uh, I don't mind that though, especially in a movie like. No, this. I don't mind it in this movie. You're right. I don't. Yeah, Which I just is- think in general, Guy Ritchie cinematography is not his strength. I would say. I'm, th- I'm glad we talked about this because I always like thought the cinematography and this was like notable. It works here, but even in other Guy Ritchie films, it's like yeah, it's like so- sometimes it doesn't. <sighs> I don't know how you describe it, but there's certain films where it does feel out of place. Like, honestly, even though I like the movie, uh, um, Sherlock Holmes is probably a good example of that. No, for a guy that prides himself on being very slick. Yeah. Right. The camera's always moving. It's a frenetic editing style for something that is supposed to look polished. Like Sherlock Holmes is supposed to be a polished action thriller, just very dark and gray. And a movie like that, I want to see more colorful. Okay. You know, Matthew Vaughn was a producer on this movie. No surprise. Uh, yeah, no surprise at all. They're cut from the same cloth, Guy Ritchie and Matthew Vaughn. Uh, there's a guy that always lights his movies well. 
and he then, uses a lot of very uh, vibrant colors. Sometimes to a fault. Sometimes. But that, to me, feels a little more in line. Like, yeah. a movie like Kingsman should be very brightly lit. Yes, I agree. A movie like X-Men uh, First Class should be very brightly lit. And even something like Layer Cake for Matthew Vaughn is very vibrant. Very, yes. very vibrant. Right. That makes sense to me. This, there's always been a bit of a disconnect. And I, it's a little gripe, I guess, but it's a gripe nonetheless. I, again, in this movie, it makes perfect sense because of how grimy the film is anyway. Yeah. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it there. And then I'm also aware of how low budget it is. So I'm, I give it a pass. But in Snatch, it's kind of an issue. Yeah. I had that issue with Snatch, certainly. Um, Tom Cruise got this movie sold in America, apparently. Why? Uh, apparently, he entered the room with a bunch of executives who were screening the movie. And he's like, you guys are fucking crazy if you don't buy this movie. Ah, oh, okay. Well, that's what he did. Every once in a while, Tom Cruise surprises me. Yeah, he does something good for the world, right? Thank you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Uh, they did a seven-episode TV show in London called Lockstock. Oh, okay. Interesting. I haven't seen. Uh, did you know Guy Ritchie was married to Madonna? Yep. I didn't know that until my research. Oh, I've always known that because my uncle fucking hates Guy Ritchie. Because he married Madonna? Well, he always brings it up for some reason. I don't think it's because... I don't think that's why he hates him, but for some reason, whenever he talks about Guy Ritchie, he's like, I hate that fucking asshole. She stole Ma- <laughs> he stole Madonna from me? <laughs> what did he do? No, I think he hates him because he married Madonna, because it's like, why the fuck would you marry Madonna? Yeah. I think that's the idea. Why the fuck would you do that? Like, stuff like that, you know? So apparently, they met because her label released the soundtrack for this movie. Uh-huh. So this is responsible for putting Madonna and Guy Ritchie together. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's all I had, really. Uh, This is a fun movie that I guess I would call disposable, but maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's a little better than that. Nah, it's it's directing its ass off. Oh, for sure. I think the dialogue is excellent. So funny. I I think these characters are wonderful. And I love it. A little hard to distinguish from each other, I would say. No, I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, especially the guy with his son who smashes the guy's head in another door. Oh, that guy's awesome. Who is another great character actor that I see popping up all the time, but he is so good in this. He's good in everything that he's in. Yeah. Um... Yeah, just kind of hard to follow. But it's available on Netflix, mm-hmm. and if you're into crime capers, especially from the 90s, yeah, you can't go wrong with this one. This one's really good. Good old Dexter Fletcher, too. Goes on to direct Rocket Man. And, That's right. And the ending of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and Eddie the Eagle. And Eddie the Eagle. Let's not forget that. Of course. <laughs> He's also in Doom. Is he working on any other uh, British... <laughs> Rockstar biopics. Uh, I'm sure he signed up for a few more. Does, was he doing like in like a Robert Plant? I was just about. Why did we both think of Robert Plant at the same time? Because we both like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> That'd be the most boring movie ever. Though. <laughs> I was gonna say that would not just work. Robert Plant doing coke all, <laughs> all fucking movie, having sex with so many women. Robert Plant. I just learned this. Used to like go out. And fuck some broad after a concert. And then he would, like, keep their jacket. He would, like, somehow convince them to keep the jacket of the woman that he just fucked. And then the following night, he would wear the jacket on stage. Oh, my God. That's something. So every time you see Robert Plant in an absurdly tight leather jacket, that's because he got laid the following or the previous night. All right, now I, I, now we, we can track this. We can see how many shows Led Zeppelin did. <laughs> so you, you had sex with one, two, three, four, five. So da, da, da. You're right. He's got so many just tiny ass leather jackets. <laughs> Why do you wear the tiny leather jackets? And he gives some bullshit artistic reason, right? <laughs> 
Well, I just, I don't want to be confined by the music, you know? <laughs> or he says it's confining me too much and I feel constricted on stage. And then when I take it off, it's me breaking out. Yeah, or you just got your dick sucked a lot that's because also, you're Robert Plant and true. you wrote Stairway to Heaven. Mm. Maybe that's why. Uh, all Boring. Right. Boring. That's not enough. Let's talk. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, here we go. Oh, yeah, you, you've been waiting for this shit. Oh, I'm so excited. It's this fucking shit. So I made you watch two movies this week. Yes, you did. And now you're going to review them. <laughs> so pumped. Okay. Let's start with Out of Sight. I love that you started with Out of Sight. Oh, of course. You have to save rounders. Oh, we got to save the best for last here. Well, I really, 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 really liked Out of Sight. Good. I'm glad. It's an awesome movie. It's yeah. like, again, there, there's a few movies on, like, this is one of the best cable movies I think I've ever seen. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a movie that I, I wouldn't have thought, well, had I not seen any of the Oceans films, I would have been like, oh, this is an interesting film, I suppose, for Soderbergh. Well, maybe not, actually. It's cool to see uh, uh, George Clooney acting next to J-Lo, who is yep. fine as always, sure. particularly fine in a Dolphins uniform. <laughs> oh, my God. Adam texted me, I don't know what, mid-boner? And you were like... Full boner, actually. Okay. J-Lo in a Dan Marino <laughs> Dolphins jersey is the sexiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I couldn't disagree. Absolutely. So hot. Um, Time it, out. This is like the sexiest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah. This movie is so fucking sexy. Oh, the scene where they're in the trunk. Oh, it's so hot, dude. Yeah, dude. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. EW named this movie number one on their sexiest movie of all time list. That's fine. These guys have so much chemistry. It's like tastefully done, though. That's oh. what makes it so sexy. I was like, yeah, this is working. These characters have so much awesome natural chemistry. This is Soderbergh understanding the history of Hollywood and playing right into it. Mm -hmm. He understands movie stars. He knows how chemistry works. He understands sex appeal. And he just lets these two loose at the peak of their powers. Two beautiful people having conversations with each other, flirting uh, stuck in trunks together. Incredible, incredible chemistry. Incredible awareness of old school Hollywood filmmaking. I would say. I would agree. It is just Ocean's Eleven, though. What's better, though? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. It is exactly the same as Ocean's Eleven. But it came out first. I know. It's the funniest thing, though, because I think. Had I seen this first, it would have seriously ruined my feelings towards Ocean's Eleven. Right. Because, I mean, it is to a T, like almost beat for beat, the same movie. Right. And I was like, I was sort of like stunned watching it. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. But, but it's it's Ocean's Eleven. Right. Same music. Same editing style. S same actors. Some yeah. of them. Yeah. Some of them are the exact same actors. I mean, it's it's got a similar structure where the guy is in jail and then he gets out and then he pulls off a like one more job and then he goes back to jail but it ends with a it's not over vibe right and it's a heist movie yeah it's literally a heist movie i like this one better though it's close though i like this one better i mean i've seen oceans 11 far more obviously sure but it's hard to say i could see myself liking this one more for me it's the performances that push it over the edge yeah it's true um those two are so good. Let me just run down real quick uh, who's in this movie. You got Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, Ving Rhames, Dennis Farina, and Albert Brooks. 
along with a bunch of other colorful character actors, including Michael Keaton, who shows up Mm -hmm. reprising his role from Jackie Brown. (laughs) Uh, This movie is also based on an Elmore Leonard novel, similar to Jackie Brown. Uh, And yeah, the plot, as you just described, is very simple. A career bank robber breaks out of jail and shares a moment of mutual attraction with a U.S. Marshal he has just kidnapped that mm-hmm. U.S. Marshal played by Jennifer Lopez. And it sort of turns into this weird romance, a dangerous sort of romance. J-Lo is fascinated by Clooney, definitely wants to have sex with him, but then wants to put him in jail after. Yeah. Uh, so there's this weird give and take of your attraction to the other side and the thin line between cop and criminal. And to me, that's where the movie sings. Yes. Both movies... Uh, out of sight in Ocean's Eleven have movie stars at the peak of their powers. This one has that little extra something. I agree. You know, this has the chemistry. This movie just pops, man. It's really that, I, I suppose. Like, there's a fun in figuring out the job, I guess, in Ocean's Eleven. But I guess seeing those two characters in this next to each other just always makes the movie that much more vibrant. Right. And, and I th- any movie with Albert Brooks is like my favorite movie. He's so good in this. I love everything that Albert Brooks does. <laughs> He's so great with the fish tank at the I, end. I know. I know. I love Albert Brooks. You're right. Yeah. Um, the thing about their chemistry, too, I want to linger on this for a second. It's kind of far-fetched, but you always buy it. Well, they make a comment about that inciting uh, Three Days of the Condor, which right. we talked about when we did our Three Days of the Condor that review. Right. The Redford Faye Dunaway thing yeah. uh, where the, the two of them fall in love under very close quarters way too fast. Mm-hmm. The movie has an awareness for this. It is similar to Big Lebowski, a movie about movies. Mm-hmm. And um, they talk about that even in the trunk, too. Right. A lot of movie conversations. Right. Uh, This is just Soderbergh playing on our expectations of the golden age. And it's a movie that's not really made that much anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's only made by people like Tarantino or Soderbergh who have a deep affection for the way things used to be, the old Hollywood system. Uh, And I just dig that, man. That works for me. A fun little caper will always work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is an elevated version of that. Yes. I agree. Yeah. It's 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 an awesome movie. Yeah. Again, like it not not necessarily. It's like, it's there, there's like a Soderbergh like 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 there's Soderbergh tears, you know, like where his his best are like Aaron Brockovich, I suppose. Traffic and uh, what else would you probably throw in there? Well, I would put this up there, but you wouldn't. I I'd put it in in like the Ocean's League, and I think right below that is like Logan Lucky, Magic Mike. Yeah. Magic Mike, Logan Lucky. I guess Sex, Lies, and Videotape is in the top tier. Okay. Yeah, yeah this is like second tier Soderbergh. Okay. It's very good. Yeah. This, this is a movie I revisit a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if you haven't seen it, you better see it. Just for J-Lo in that Dan Marino jersey alone. Yeah. So good. I have one little fun fact. Uh, you'll appreciate this. The mugshot of Jack Foley, played by George Clooney, uh, which J-Lo says, quote, he doesn't even look like that is the mugshot of Clooney's character Seth Gecko from Till Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, really? From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, a lot of little Tarantino references now. Because we have Michael Keaton crossing over. And, oh, that's right. Yeah. It's very 90s, this movie. Oh, man. There's a interconnectedness to this and Tarantino's universe. Yes. That would be funny. Well, I think that's for sure. It's part of the universe. Absolutely. Michael Keaton's character is in both movies. Yeah, I know. Played by Michael Keaton. Yeah. In this movie, Hitler was killed in a movie theater. I was going to say, I would just, I guess that's true, isn't it? Because all Tarantino mo- movies have that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Weird. Now it just makes it confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Out of sight. I'm glad you liked it. Yes, I did. All right. Let's talk about Rounders now. 
So uh, better than Citizen Kane or what? <laughs> well, it's the best movie ever made, Nico. Okay. Clearly. So better than Citizen Kane, just for the record. Better than Citizen Kane and takes a huge dump on Godfather Part 2. You know, it, it you know makes Mad Max Fury Road look like, you know, a video game. So I'm very nervous for what you're about to say. <laughs> so I will just get this out of the way. It's directed by John Dahl, written by David Levine and Brian Koppelman who are now responsible for the show Billions on Showtime. Have you ever seen Billions? <laughs> no. Okay, they're the writers behind that show. Starring an incredible cast of characters. Many names, by the way, will repeat uh, from these other movies. A lot of overlapping uh, actors. Matt Damon, Edward Norton, Gretchen Maul, John Turturro, Martin Landau, mm. and John Malkovich. A young retired gambler, I'm sorry, a young reformed gambler must return to playing big stakes poker to help a friend pay off loan sharks while balancing his relationship with his girlfriend and his commitments to law school. <sighs> um, I'm going to let you go, and then oh. I'll do my thing. All right. Well, I know you love this movie. You were kind of worried that I, I wouldn't like it, though, because it's so you, in quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, Nico, it's a neo-noir film about poker. Well, what makes you think I wouldn't like the movie? Oh, thank <laughs> I didn't love it. Okay. That's important. I did not love it. But like, yeah, this movie's fairly dope. Thank God. <laughs> oh. Yes, it's a it's per- God. It's perfectly good. Thank God. I have like one or two gripes with the movie, but aside from that, like, yeah, this movie's solid. Give me those gripes. I don't buy Matt Damon as this character. Really? At all. And I found the ending where he ultimately wins to be a little anticlimactic. Funny you should say that. What? I think that's like one of the great climaxes of all time. Because <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> Fucking love it, dude. I like everything up until the point where he wins. It's like, oh, 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 he won? Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Throwing the Oreos is great, though. Right. You son of bitch! <laughs> you son of bitch! All night! Chick, 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 chick! <laughs> Hanging around! Hanging around! Yeah, that man is money. He beat me straight up. <laughs> You're still behind from the last time I stick it in you. <laughs> John Malkovich is off the fucking wall in this movie. Oh, you can't believe what fell. I can't, All of your dreams. I don't know if I like John Malkovich. <laughs> I can't figure it out. I'm going to read you an excerpt that says it all. Okay. And this, by the way, summarizes my entire feeling on the John Malkovich performance as Teddy KGB, one of the great characters in all of film. (laughs) Matt Damon said in an interview that getting John Malkovich was a big deal for the film, so much so that on the first take, John Malkovich did a very cartoonish and over-the-top performance, at the end of which the whole crew applauded and praised him for how brilliant it was. At this point, Matt Damon looked over to John Malkovich very confused. Malkovich, seeing him looking confused, leaned over and said, quote, I'm a terrible actor. Matt Damon said John Malkovich was trying to show him that, quote, if you get to the point where no one gives you a straight answer, it's dangerous. So here's the point with the John Malkovich character. It's a very fine line between, wow, this great American actor is so ambitious and, oh, my God, this dude's a total con artist. Mm-hmm. This performance straddles the middle for me. It is clearly overacting. Yeah. It's clearly over the top. 
The Russian accent is absurd, <laughs> but I'm not sure if it crosses the line to terrible. It may be the point. It may not be the point. And I find that to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, I mean, I think it, the, the, the fine line, I mean, it's entertaining. Uh, sure. It's very entertaining. It's not always not there, but I think for the most part, it's just me watching a bald well, he's always bald, but, you know, watching... <laughs> that was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> watching John Malkovich do a Russian accent. Right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it too many times to be able to comment. Yeah. Just because, like, that scene, I've seen more than any scene in the history of film. And that's the type of scene that I quote, not only at every poker game I ever play, <laughs> but every day of my life. Okay. It's one of the most quoted... It's like... Every time, if you're shot, you can't believe what <laughs> fell. All the time I say that shit. It's a good line. Yeah. Uh, this entire movie is full of great quotes. Mm-hmm. When Worm says to Mike after Gretchen Mole splits from the apartment, you know what they say, Mike? In the poker game of life, the woman is the rake. <laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> and what is what, how does Damon respond? Like... Where, they, where did you hear that? They, it, they always say that. The, that no, that's a saying. <laughs> well, it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that part. <laughs> uh, All that stuff when they're hanging out at Atlantic City, and mm-hmm. it's like you know, uh, you have this entire group of poker players. It's like the Nature Channel. Yep. It's like you don't know who the predators are. the The, the prey doesn't know that they're prey. Mm-hmm. Uh, survival of the fittest out there. Here's what I will say about rounders. Yeah. Um, I am obsessed with poker. You know this about me. Yes, it is do. one of my hobbies, mm-hmm. and it's one of my little idiosyncratic obsessions. This is so painstakingly accurate to the way that poker players talk. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help but love this movie. Okay, um, it is of course the best poker movie of all time. Um, not necessarily because the acting is the best, or the direction is the best, or the script is the best, but it takes such lengths to get the details right. All of the games that they play. They don't just play hold'em. Yeah, I know. They play seven-card stud. They play high-low. They mm-hmm. play draw. The All the games that they, they get into, they're playing at the cop house. They're, they're slumming it in the casinos. They're in back rooms. They're at this Russian mobster's place. I know. Uh, that happens, and that's what it sounds like. That's how these people speak to one another. A guy like Worm... Dime a dozen in New York City. Dime a dozen in Las Vegas. The slimy, obsessive gambler that tries to cheat the system. Uh, You know, the way that these scenes play out. Although I have a a few grievances about uh, Teddy KGB's betting style in the final hand. Kind of an overbet. I thought that too, honestly. I mean, you have to sort of take some shortcuts for dramatic effect. Yeah. But for the most part, that's how you play. Yeah. That's that's Matt Damon is a good poker player. But here's world. the thing: is that you can tell. Like I, I am, I, I played some poker in my life, but I wouldn't exactly say I'm a poker head or anything. Yeah. Like whenever I play it, I enjoy it, but I don't know the ins and outs the way that you do. Yeah. Um. But you can tell watching this that the writers and and everyone involved with the film understood the game. Sure. And they understood how to present that game and talk about the game. It's it's like having not. I, not being an expert on on poker, I could tell that this movie was very accurate, right? And I appreciated those details, even if I didn't understand them maybe as thoroughly as you did. Sure, it makes it feel more real. Yeah. Like their patter is so natural. Yes. These characters. I, yeah. Um, My favorite scenes, though, are never the poker scenes. Oddly enough, it's all it's 
any scene with Martin Landau and any scene with John Turturro. Yeah. I, John Turturro especially. I don't know what it is about that character. It's just, I love being in that movie whenever he's with that character for some reason. Yeah. The, uh, the Turturro character is, is the professional. I, yeah. I love that. He is grinding out a living. Yep. He just sits there, check, 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 fold, 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 finally gets a hand, and he's up $100 that night. Yeah. Like, that's the type of character. Matt Damon is chasing something. He's chasing a legacy. He wants to make it at the World Series of Poker. Mm-hmm. Ed Norton just wants a paycheck. Yep. He's not willing to do the work yep. that Turturro's willing to do. He just wants someone to give it to him, essentially. Right. And it's sort of funny. Within this world, how much you can learn about someone just by how they play the game. Oh, yeah. You know? Which is the most interesting thing about the movie is that th- th- their characters are defined by how they play. Yeah. And, like, you sort of side with like i mean i certainly pick sides with like who i would uh, admire more than the other and i can understand why someone would maybe appreciate even someone like edward norton over john turturro's character right but me personally like, i can't help but love like john turturro for doing what he does in a funny way norton's and, so good in this book. oh god yeah one of my favorite I, norton performances excellent norton performance <laughs> yes i agree very fitting for him again like i think edward norton's better suited for these kinds of characters right yeah uh, I, I love when he gets beat up by the cops. He's about to get beat up by the cops and he goes, aren't you supposed to read me my rights first? <laughs> such an asshole. <laughs> he's such a little weasel. I know. Well, he's, his name's Worm. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Martin Landau character is also pretty interesting because mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, I should say this. I don't know any federal judges, but I don't imagine any of them would be giving degenerate gamblers $10,000 loans. Well, you do know some judges. I do. Who who would probably look at you as a degenerate gambler, but <laughs> that judge would not give me 10 grand. No, that's the distinction. To, to finance because my buddy who's named Worm owes 50 grand to a guy called Grandma. <laughs> I love the names in this. Too. It's such a no R. Like Grandma's so great. Oh god, it buys awesome. up all the debt. Why is Grandma upset at the end when Matt Damon wins? I don't know. He flips the table over. He's getting his money. That's grandma's money. Why is he so upset? Did he want to kill Matt Damon? I don't know. Did he want more money out of Matt Damon? Grandma's finally getting paid. What's he upset about? Yeah, I didn't quite get that either. Like I said, the ending is a little like uh, wishy-washy for me, but yeah, most of the movie is just like solid, awesome cable movie fun. Where just everything about the movie pretty much works. Mm. You know, there's not a lot of things that I could necessarily criticize aside from like a couple details. Honestly, the only thing that doesn't quite work in the movie for me is Matt Damon. Okay, I, I don't care for Matt Damon in this movie. Yeah, uh, well, it's that time, I guess, for Matt's career. He's in everything. Yeah. Uh, he's working with Harvey Weinstein, and this is a Harvey Weinstein production. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't consider it one of his best performances, but it's not a particularly layered performance. All no. of the side characters are more interesting than him. I wouldn't say he's not interesting, though, that they're not giving him anything to work with, especially with his... I mean, he ha- he has to deal with losing his girlfriend, and then, you know... She doesn't work in this movie either, by no. the way. Big flaw. No. But I like the idea of him trying to bounce back and forth with like, doing something as you know scummy as this, this kind of illegal poker most of the time. It's all very illegal. illegal. <laughs> it's very illegal. Uh, but 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 also like trying to decide with that between his like normal boring work life and the girlfriend and whatnot. Like it just worked. That that stuff is is well fleshed out. It's just I don't know if I see Matt Damon in that role. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the stuff with Johnny Chan is awesome. So Johnny yeah. Chan's a really interesting character too. Um, again, these guys our poker enthusiast mm-hmm. uh, Levine and Koppelman are and they wanted to pay homage to some real figures in this movie initially a guy named Phil Helmuth 
was supposed to be the Johnny Chan stand-in. Okay. He was supposed to be the guy that Matt Damon sat down at the table with and bluffed off okay. the hand. Um, Johnny Chan, interesting character, won two consecutive World Series of Poker titles. That like never happens because the field is super huge. Mm-hmm. He was going for a third title, and he was beat by this guy named Phil Helmuth. One-on-one, at the end, this young kid who we call the Poker Brat, that's his nickname, beats Johnny Chan. And still to this day, Phil Helmuth is winning poker tournaments, is a big character among poker enthusiasts. That would have been a more interesting character. Because Phil Helmuth is really weird, explosive, has a short fuse, curses out people at the poker table. Yeah, but it has the record for the most World Series of Poker bracelets ever won. Um... Point being, this movie gets it. It mm-hmm. understands the culture, understands what poker enthusiasts would want in a movie, and that's why I can sit there every Friday night if I have a poker game. Check, 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 check. Oh, get away from this hand. It's no good for you. <laughs> like, this is stuff that I would say. Um, okay. And so, look, funny movie with awesome character actors mm-hmm. that I love about the world of poker. This is the most Nico movie ever made. Yeah, and I would probably agree with that. <laughs> I've just been saturated with the most Nico movie ever made. But I didn't mind it. <laughs> that's that's the important distinction. And this is what I was saying before. I can sit through the most Nico movie ever made where there's no fucking way you can sit through the most Adam movie ever made. Well, that's very true. <laughs> I think that says more about me than you, though. Okay. True. <laughs> uh, finally. Finally. Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Directed by this guy named Steven Spielberg. Never made another movie since. Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, right? Like, yeah. Nothing since. Yeah. Most uh, probably sucked. By the way, inducted into the Movie Hall of Fame <laughs> twice. This could be his third time. Maybe. Just of note. Uh, starring Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore, Adam Goldberg, Vin Diesel, Giovanni Ribisi, Ted Danson, Paul Giamatti, Dennis Farina, Brian Cranston. I'm just naming actors you would recognize. They have very small roles in this movie. <laughs> Nathan Fillion and, of course, Private Ryan himself, Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, winner of Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Editing at the Oscars. Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Original Screenplay, Art Direction, Makeup, and Score. Number 45 on AFI's All-Time Thrills list. Number 10 on their most inspiring list. Number 8 on their epic list. And 71 all time. So says the American Film Institute. That's not bad, actually. Following the Normandy landings, a group of U.S. soldiers go behind enemy lines to retrieve a paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. Yeah. I've seen it a bunch. You've seen it a bunch. I've seen it more than any other film on this list. Okay. Um... Kind of a tough rewatch. Why? What do you mean? Well, you know, arms getting blown off and oh. legs exploding. And I mean, not exactly. Not the most pleasant movie ever. Yeah, not when you want to flip on on a Saturday afternoon while you're doing your laundry. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. That being said, um, sure, one of the best war movies ever made. I might go as far to say it is the best war movie ever made. It ain't better than Apocalypse Now. Um, Man, I don't consider that much of a war movie. Well, okay. <laughs> as far as like steering into the war aspect i mean that barely does it by comparison to this in my opinion this or platoon this yeah you're right okay fine best war movie of all time 
And that's I'll okay. give it to you. Sure. All right. I mean, if if we're not considering Apocalypse now, okay. No, I, I, I honestly, I mean, I maybe talk about it on a list, but it's a completely different animal. Okay. Um. Here's what I love about this. The movie begins with D-Day. Yes. It doesn't end with D-Day. Yes, I know. And that is an unbelievable revelation when mm-hmm. you really think about it. Because a lesser movie would end it with D-Day. Mm-hmm. A lesser movie would make that the climax. <laughs> this movie is so fucking complicated on a thematic level and on a moral level. Mm-hmm. Anybody that says Steven Spielberg is a one-note director and... He is very optimistic and very simple in his themes and doesn't challenge the audience enough. I don't know how you can say that in good conscience after seeing this movie. Oh, God, no. Right? Uh, It's one of his most complicated films thematically. I guess the only other contender is honestly Munich. Yeah, this is way better than Munich, though. It has a lot more to say. Oh, yeah, I agree. But like... I mean, just to get it out of the way, it's by far the best film on this list. It just is. Okay. And that's okay. Yeah. It might not necessarily be in, to, uh, decide how I choose. Okay. But yes, people listening, rest assured, it's the best movie on the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the I've, I've never seen a movie deal with the, the complications of being a soldier, but also being connected to your soldiers yeah. in various ways, whether it's just through the, the combat at hand or just sitting around and talking about life back home and mothers. And that's the thing that this movie's heart is, is I think, strongest with, is its sympathy towards the mothers of war, which is... But not in a not direct, sappy way, though. No, no, because it doesn't directly focus on them. It's just sort of referenced, and you can feel it looming over everything that they do. And it's just in the little details, like, oh, yeah, these are some mother's boys that are being blown apart, you know? This is the one who's bleeding out. This is the one who just wants his mommy, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's so real and honest and sad and just believable, and it makes perfect sense when you consider... Uh, the people who saw this movie and those who were actually veterans who were like, this has never been captured so brilliantly before. Right. This is what it is. Not just on a visual level, though. It's not just spectacle. No. I, but I mean, well, I guess we'll get to that when we talk about the spectacle. But I mean, like thematically, it's 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 all the I mean, and not just with the soldiers, but also with I mean, I'm, Tom Hanks's character is still a soldier, but like his position amongst those guys and what he has to do to rationalize uh, leading these men and like right. rationalize them dying. And it's like, when you think about it, it's like, Oh my God, that is so bleak and cynical. Like what he's forced to do. But, but you don't think about that when you think about war. No, really. I mean, you think about obviously the human cost, like yep. these people are dead and they're gone, mm-hmm. but you don't think about the regret that a soldier must feel on the ground mm-hmm. making those decisions. Yes. Like Tom Hanks has to decide we're going after, uh, we're going after the German missiles because they're going to get the next group that tries coming through this field. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to go off course to do that. Uh, like we have a responsibility as soldiers to do this kind of thing, but regardless of the cost. Also, like Tom Hanks is a teacher. He's an English teacher. Yep. It's crazy. But like, that's what every soldier was in World War II. Mm-hmm. They were just real guys. And he happened to climb up the ranks. But that incredible scene where they all start breaking down and Tom Sizemore holds the other guy at gunpoint. Oh my God. Incredible. scene! And he finally reveals his backstory and Tom Hanks goes, look, man, I don't know who this private Ryan guy is. 
I don't particularly care whether or not he lives or dies. I'm just hoping if we do this mission, I can go home. Yep. There's nothing idealistic about it. It's so real, though. It's like, again, at a certain point when you're in the fight for that long, you're just like, anything I can do to get out of here. What, you know, they can give me, if I get this many gold stars, maybe they'll let me go home. That, right. That's, it's that attitude. It's not, it's not about the mission on the purest level, like from an altruistic standpoint. It's just like, I have to do this so they'll, they'll give me an edge. Right. So like, there's an element of chivalry. There's an element of it's our mission. It's our duty. And we're going to do whatever it takes. I will lay down my life for my fellow man. But there's also just like a lot of real like, dude, I don't want to be here right now. Yeah, it's like, and you shouldn't want to be here either. But I got orders, and that's what my boss told me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just with you guys, man. I want to get the hell off this this fucking continent. Yep. Get me back home with my wife. Yep. Exactly. I'm sick of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's ever been done in a movie as effectively as this. Yeah. Certainly not in a war movie, man. Well, it takes its time too. Like real. I mean, I I really like uh, Hacksaw Ridge, but that movie doesn't take its time on these moments at. And all. that one's also a little altruistic. Yes, and a I, little, I I agree. A little precious. Yes, it doesn't take its time to stop. Right. And this movie, it's 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 funny when people reference it as like one of the great like quote unquote action films, but there's like no action in the movie. Well, there really isn't not that like if you look at the film structurally, a lot of it is just them jumping and walking from place to place. And most of the movie is just them developing their characters right. and getting a sense of who these soldiers are and how they interact with one another. And it's wonderful. Like this is exactly if I were making a movie, this is exactly how I would do it. I actually base a lot of my screenwriting on Saving Private Ryan right? <laughs> because I love that structure. I love the idea of introducing you with the crazy shit at first and then giving you time to breathe and soak in the, the people who just went through said crazy shit. Well, D-Day is not the emotional climax of the movie, which is what's incredible. Um, Obviously, it's one of the great scenes in the history of film. That's been said. I think it's, you know what, I I, I could feel comfortable saying it's the most incredible scene ever filmed. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the most harrowing. Um, It is so it's so it's so painstakingly accurate because because yeah. I I knew a lot about World War II before watching this movie I'm fascinated by the subject and like just seeing it captured this way is just like yeah it's 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 the closest I think we're ever going to get to like war on screen <laughs> and sort of with this like journalistic touch to it too, yeah of very uninvolved very removed it's mm-hmm. just a guy with a camcorder yeah, like on the beach watching where it's this is a movie that uh, kind of revolutionized how we use uh, shaky cam shots yeah very important yeah the handheld here is just yeah. um, I mean Schindler's listed a lot of that too yes um, but this is really what pushed it over the oh, edge God, yeah. it's perhaps Spielberg's greatest work of direction mm-hmm. um, the way that it tracks the movement on the beach but never lingers on one spot any too uh, not too long and it doesn't it doesn't have to linger and it doesn't have to overstate things because war really is that brutal. Yep, I know. You but know. like like paying attention to the details that made it work, just these like the fact that how randomly people will just die. Right. And that's how and that's what it was like. The slog of making it up the beach, the vomiting beforehand and just being sick and how watching cl- Hanks's hand tremble oh, in the opening God. shot. How let me how old do you think most of these guys were? Yeah, probably in their late twenties. Earlier, early twenties, the average like Omaha Beach soldier who landed there. How no, no nineteen. What are we talking? Sixteen. Oh my god! These kids were sixteen to seventeen years old. Jesus Christ! Like, think about that for a second. And they're getting cut in half. (laughs) Yeah. One guy loses an arm and picks it up. Oh, and, that detail freaks me out every time I and see And when it. the guy gets hit in the in the <laughs> helmet and then they go, Oh, lucky shot and then <laughs> and then boom went right through his head the second time. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh 
certainly. I mean, the war sequences have never been done better than this. Um, And it's so raw and it's so brutal. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's a really thoughtful movie Mm -hmm. about war and regret. I mean, the script is so goddamn good. Can I say something? Go ahead. It's maybe the most underrated Tom Hanks performance. Yeah. I I feel like people, like, don't bring it up enough. I think he's remarkable in this movie. Yeah. It's like, maybe it's up there with one of my favorites. There, there are times where I watch and I'm like, you know what? I like this more than Forrest Gump. Oh, please. <laughs> I like, I'm sorry, but. Bitch, please. This character. Come he, on, dude. He's fascinating. Yeah. And the best thing about it more than anything in, in, with the trajectory of Tom Hanks' career is that uh, Captain Miller is kind of a fucking asshole. Um, he's, he's not the greatest guy ever. He's not like a complete prick. He's not like doing horrible things, but he's not. He's a very battered human I mean, he's being. just the cog in a wheel, really, right? Yeah. But I he, mean, he's been neutered to the point where he doesn't have sort of, he doesn't have any control over the situation. He's just like a company man almost. Yeah, I know. If you can call a military person a company man. But that's kind of what I'm talking about, though. Like, Tom Hanks' characters are usually a bit more optimistic. Yeah. And this guy's like, fuck this. Like, let's just do our job. Like, we're not here to do the decent thing. We're here to follow fucking orders. Right. (laughs) It's a great line, but it's like something you would never see a Tom Hanks character saying. I mean, it is heroic, but it's heroic in a sort of weird way. Not in a traditional Tom Hanks way. More of like a procedural, we just got to get this done kind of a way. Yeah, for sure. Um... What I love too is like the mission here is so absurd. I know, and but they they the, the best thing about it is that they reference that like, and they flesh it out. Yeah, you know, at first it kind of sounds like Hollywood bullshit, mm-hmm. but the movie reckons with the fact that it's Hollywood bullshit. Yeah, and the guys on the ground acknowledge, oh yeah, this is just a PR stunt. Yeah, like some guy in an office somewhere, Brian Cranston in an office somewhere. Wanted to bring this kid home so he could see his mom. Yep. And we're going to make him the poster child of World War II. <laughs> yep. And so these guys are going to lay down their lives to make sure he gets home all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love how Tom Hanks goes, I wouldn't trade 10 Private Ryans for one of my guys. Yeah, for one Caparzo or one Vecchio. Yeah, the math just doesn't make sense here. We shouldn't be doing this, but these are orders. And like this is war. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the movie. That's most. When I say it's like not really an action film, is that most of the movie are those conversations. Yeah, the ability to reckon with that is just, it's one of the marvels of this movie. Um, it, you know, for all that's said about the spectacle, and it's great spectacle, and it's great film, and mm-hmm. uh, it's just an impeccable work of direction. Yes. Uh, the thought that goes into, we're sending five guys to save one, and we're laying down our lives so he can keep going. And then you have Matt Damon at the end. He's an old man. And he goes, I hope I made my life worth living. It's a, it's, it's like heartbreaking. What a chilling like, idea yeah, that I is. Know, exactly. It's like when you think about that, it's like, how do you go on living? Right. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Like, it's what? like, oh, this is what war is. People make mistakes and we die because someone's got to make the decision. Yeah. Someone's got to make the judgment call and no one's perfect. But so soldiers are going to die in, unavo- in avoidable ways. But at the end of the day, it's all the same. You're still doing it for your fellow man. Right. Even when, when, you, go to, when you go to war yourself, you're still doing it for, quote unquote, like America, for the people back at home. Yeah. That's the idea. And then you kind of start tallying up the cost of war. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And yeah. and really affecting. I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those great, like you said, like it, it's very inspiring. And at, at times, like just oh god, like the scene where the medic dies is oh just, with the morphine. Like I sometimes Giovanni Ribisi, yeah, yeah. like Wade, yeah, that's his name. Like sometimes I I just have trouble watching it. And then and again, like the characters, I'm like, what the fuck are these guys doing? You right. know, the fact that you sort of go on that emotional journey with them is remarkable. And then there's the yeah. translator who's like a coward the whole time. <laughs> How about when the the German dude walks down the staircase and just lets him sit there 
so, the movie is he's just cowering in fear. It's filled with little moments like that. I love when they're uh, uh, going through the dog tags of all the dead soldiers, and they're just like, "Put these fucking and they're things laughing. away!" Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> they're checking. Oh, this poor bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's just, it's yeah. such a thought provoking, great movie yeah. that you see it once, and it's it's like one of those movies. There's only a handful of them. It's like you see it one time and you're blown away just by the the nature of it. Mm-hmm. It's like it just knocks your socks off. It's that on every level. Yep. It leaves you thinking. You're you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. Titanic's a similar thing. I wouldn't say Titanic's one of the greatest movies ever made, but like you see that thing for the first time and you're like, I need to lay down. Yeah. Like that's just I can't believe movies can do that to me. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan's another one of those movies. The first time you see it, you will never forget yeah. your experience watching it. Exactly. And I think this is much greater than Titanic, though. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm just... Uh, Hollywood can do that. And like, yeah. Spielberg can do that. Mm-hmm. And all you fucking Spielberg... <laughs> This is haters. It's another example. Like I agree. Like when people say like Spielberg is is you know melodramatic and can't be ambitious and do this and that. I'm like, have you seen this movie? I know. Like maybe have, newer Spielberg. But sure. what, what director hasn't aged poorly? Yeah, it's just what he likes to do. But it doesn't mean he has exceptions. It's the same like Kubrick argument. Kubrick can't be sympathetic. Have you seen Paths of Glory? Right. It's like no. I, Spielberg is a multi layered director. Like there's really nothing he can't do. Yeah, he can do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and just because he's made Lincoln and Warhorse mm-hmm. over and over and over again, I mean, doesn't mean he's not capable of masterpieces. And this guy has made, and I don't think, is this true of anybody except for maybe Kubrick, five masterpieces? He's made five. It's Raiders, E.T., Jaws, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. Those are five Hall of Fame all time. We can quabble about E.T. Yes. Those are five fucking classics yes i agree the best that film can be i don't think there's another director that has five <laughs> maybe not yeah i think maybe it's kubrick you got clockwork uh fin- shining fincher almost has five with what i would throw i would go seven fight club social network and zodiac they're not there though not this they're no, not at that they're not, not, not at this level, level. no they're no, not no, 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 no no i didn't say that no it's i guess clockwork dr strange love shining um, uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, two thousand one. Did you say Paths of Glory? Okay, we Paths put, of Glory is incredible. That's a that's in a masterpiece. Yeah, I mean the other four are just like bona fide, like changed America. You, you haven't seen Paths. Of, I you, haven't. You would love Paths of Glory. That's a, that's it takes an interesting turn, but again, like it's just oh, it's so your kind of thing. Okay, it's a great movie. Um, are you ready to do this? Yeah. Okay. Hold on a second. Let me turn on the light in here because it got dark in our little room. Are you creeped out by that? A little bit. Are you uncomfortable being in a dark room with me? Oh. Okay. I'm uncomfortable with you in a light room, dude. <laughs> uh, we just talked about Saving Private Ryan extemporaneously. And yes. um, look, I agree. I, I think sometimes it's stupid to polarize these issues and be like i think one movie should get in over the other and now i'm going to tell you everything wrong with saving private ryan even though there's nothing wrong with saving private ryan (laughs) nothing um big lebowski to me is a very special movie um we have not inducted many comedies if any comedies into the movie hall of fame um came to really define a generation of film goer the dude is the most relatable character on the list uh, I I would consider it among the most iconic uh, performances in the history of film. Um, I think it represents a lot of what we're trying to do here in terms of awarding film excellence. So specific to the Coens, 
could be their best movie. You catch me on the right day. I'm going to call it their best movie. Um, and I just think, look, it's an interesting decision to put it in. And that's what my vote would be. That's where my heart is, at least. And I can make the argument. But I gave you full autonomy, and you get to do whatever you want. So do whatever you want. Oh, oh, okay. Give me the pen. Okay. Here's All right. Pen. I'm going to cross off some obvious ones here. Okay. We're going to get rid of rounders. How dare you? It's gone. How dare We're going to get rid of out of sight, unfortunately. And, of course, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Okay. They're gone. All right. The three that are left over are The Big Lebowski, Rushmore, Saving Private Ryan. And I have full autonomy here, and I know exactly what I'm going to do. I didn't listen to a fucking thing you just said. <laughs> All right. I'm going to hide my first one that I'm going to cross off. Why the fuck is Rushmore still on that list? Oh, that's a good question. So, don't look. Okay. Show you which one I'm crossing off next. I'm not I'm not looking. Okay. The next movie that is crossed off is what Nico? Uh Adam Hall just crossed off Saving Private Ryan. Yes, I did. Why'd you cross off Saving Private Ryan? Let me be very clear. On impact, legacy, and quality, it wins out outright. It's too easy. And uh, just for clarity's sake, guys, yes, it should probably get in there. Uh, we'll do a greatest war movies ever podcast, and we will induct it then. We've also had too much fucking Spielberg. Oh, okay. Too much Spielberg. Wow. And we're going to have at least one more for certain. Yes. So we need to go a little easy on Spielberg. We will induct Saving Private Ryan on a different list altogether. Okay. That's fine. Uh-huh. I, I also have a bit of res- responsibility here <laughs> for this podcast. Now, uh-huh. <laughs> wow, the two left over are Rushmore yeah. and The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Now, Nico, I'm a sick fuck. Oh, don't do this to me. I'm a sick fuck. Don't do this to me. We haven't inducted any Wes Anderson yet. We have not. Yeah, it's true. We have not. Oh, no. I know you don't like Wes Anderson. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? What, what are you doing? What is happening? Yeah, so it, it's down between these two. What is happening? <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, Nico. Why did I give you this power? That that being said. Yeah. You are Nick Evangelista an apology. I what? Huh? You are Nick Evangelista an apology. I owe him an apology? Because you said that he ruined the process. Uh-huh. And I think that man only mended things and made things better last time he discussed 1982 with us. Because, Big Lebowski, welcome to the Movie Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. Here let's do a little sound clap effect here for <sighs> You want my reasoning? I'm shaking right now. <laughs> you just agreed with me on this. I know I did. Talk to me. Well, the obvious. We don't have a fucking Coen Brothers movie in Yeah, yet. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. That is a problem. Two, 
it yeah. would never have gotten in. And I mean, this movie on a best of 1999 list, this was never getting in next to Saving Private Ryan. It was just right. an uphill battle that it was not going to win. Yeah. And because I saw the, the, the direction of, oh, what if we put Saving Private in on a different list and try to get this one in otherwise because we need one movie. It made the most sense to me. And if we ever do a Wes Anderson podcast, which we might, Rushmore might get in. Yeah. This was the only time Big Lebowski, I think, was ever going to get in. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. If we did a Coen Brothers podcast, it no. wouldn't get in. No. Um, if we did a sports movie podcast, it wouldn't get in. Nope. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you think that it deserves a spot in here? Yes. Oh, God. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, any movie that is gone from a level of cult whateverness to everybody loves this movie now yeah. deserves a spot. That is a, the, one of the more admirable feats a film can accomplish. Yeah. I also have to say, Nico, I care about this podcast more than you think. Oh. And I care about the relationship that we have on this podcast oh. more than you think. I'm not ready for this, you sick fuck. I, I know, right? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm not that fucked up. Oh, and this is me <laughs> finally making right what happened back oh! in 1982. <laughs> and it's all... Hey! <laughs> you old so-and-so! And it's all thanks to Nick <laughs> for, for our last Why Is This a Thing podcast. Because had he not mentioned the things that he did, I would have eaten you alive. <laughs> wow. But he made things right, and I was like... You Shake know, hands, buddy! You know what? Look Th- at this. This is the right thing to do. Look at this. Burying the hatchet on the movie Hall of Fame. The audience loves it. <laughs> Thank you, audience. It's a nice heartwarming story brought to a satisfying conclusion. Wow. Well, then. Uh, Big Lebowski is in the movie Hall of Fame. Yeah, the it best is. of 1998. <laughs> yeah, it is. Might be a controversial decision. It's not I'm the, all right with it. Not the point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me make something very clear, guys. It being the best of 1998 is f- completely removed from the point. Okay. You have to listen all the way to understand. Well, then. All right. Congratulations to the Big Lebowski, the best movie of 1998. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally okay with this decision. Me too. I, I am okay yeah, with this decision. No, I think too. it deserves a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're right. It, it would be hard to squeeze in there under any other format. Yes. And I, look, it's underrated, I think, in terms of quality, legacy, I agree. and impact. I completely it agree. It has a solid case for all three. I agree. And if Saving Private Ryan wasn't on this list, it would win going away. Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, so yeah, the idea that it's just a stupid stoner comedy. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Cool. Well then. Okay. I, I, I owe it. You know, my, I, I petitioned for Blade Runner for similar purposes. All right. So there it is. There it is. Congratulations. Let's move on to next week then. Yeah. So I don't like this now. So now <laughs> we are in a moment of peace. We're in, yes, a, we we're in a, a period of peace. <laughs> What's a good period of peace in history where it was all fine. And then somewhere along the line, things got fucked up. Like, the late 80, 1800s, something like that. Okay. So yeah. we're in that area right It'll now. go horribly wrong eventually. Guys, don't, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for now, we are, we are back to cooperating. Yes. Not, we are not adversaries no not, longer, for yeah. now at least. Yes. Uh, and we're gonna, next week going to talk about the movies of 1991. Yes, we are. Which is an interesting year. And I will yes. allow you to go first mm. in the spirit of prosperity. Well, I got to go Silence of the Lambs. Okay. And I will go with Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Barton Fink.
Okay. Uh, what about Bob? Really? Yeah. Ooh, interesting choice. Yeah. Okay. And now it gets interesting. Yeah. A lot of good movies came out in 1991. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I agree. I don't mind fried green tomatoes. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Would not have been my choice. But... <laughs> uh, I am actually going to have to say Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Gotta. Now it's up to you. What about Bob? You know what? Good choice. Uh, um, I'm between Thumb and Louise and Boys in the Hood. That's what I'm between. Mm. Oh, that's close. I'd love to do point blank, but uh, point, point, point break. I'm sorry. Not in good conscience. I can't. J. Oh, uh, uh, right, JFK. JFK. Let's go. I was gonna say you might be able to do. Yeah, JFK. All right, JFK. Yeah. Oh man, those are two good movies we're leaving off. Yeah, you're right, and I, I think both are actually culturally they 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 have something to say. But mm. I'm good with that though. <laughs> JFK, tough. That's J- tough. JFK is such an interesting conversation. Yeah, we got to talk JFK. JFK. Yeah, we definitely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love, okay. J- love JFK. All right. So for next week, Silence of the Lambs, Terminator Two, Judgment Day. What about Bob Barton Fink? JFK and Beauty and the Beast. One gets into the Movie Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. We'll decide that on next week's program. Wow. Can't believe what we just went through together. That was therapeutic. Yeah, I know. I'm happy about that. Uh, I need to go. Okay. To trivia. As do I, because I'm going to dinner. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so check us out on the website, tmt.media mm-hmm. or too many thoughts media.com. And folks. Until next time on this very cordial podcast. Nico, the dude abides. <laughs>